Well, good morning and welcome again to Encounter. We have a saying around here that, uh, that we practice truth, and that's going to come true today, maybe more than in a lot of other uh, weekends together because of the, the subject matter that we're going to be hitting on, tackling head on today. We're in part five of this series, Overcome, and I promise eventually the series will come to an end, but not today. <laughs> Uh, next week is going to be our exclamation point on it as we celebrate adult baptism. We've got lots of them queued up and ready because we want to celebrate with what God is doing. And again, encounterchurch.org slash baptism. Share your faith story. We want to celebrate with you. Um, today, though, we practice truth by taking a look at this, uh, this passage or this, uh, this message title called From Pain to Praise. And it's everything, it's everything in between. I think that's especially difficult. Uh, what we're going to do this morning is take a look at this, at this gap that sort of exists between what our eyes see in the world and, and what our hearts on some level know to be true. What, what our hearts know about God's goodness and about his righteousness and about how God wants to like bring us up from the valleys. But we look around and we see junk in the world. And we see garbage in our own lives as well. And we see pain and we see suffering and we see loss. And we ask God, why? How could you, how could you allow this to happen? How long are you just gonna, gonna wait and allow this gap between what we see with our eyes and what we know in our hearts to be true? How long are you just gonna sort of let this happen? Just by way of example, uh, last week I preached on the Elijah story. And we asked that, story, we asked that question, who is it among us, who is it that gets deeply and profoundly discouraged? What kind of person is it that gets depressed? And we saw in the Elijah story about him curl up in on himself and just want to be done and end it all. And we say, even the Elijahs among us, even the great spiritual heroes like Elijah gets depressed. And I heard so many so many comments coming up to me afterwards, throughout the week, emails written in. And on the one hand, I just, I love that this is a kind of community where we do life together and you can share those things with your pastor. But at the same time, it, it makes me look around and say, why God? Why doesn't what I see with my eyes happening in the community match in my heart that I know that God is good and wants to lift us out of those valleys? Why God? And today we're going to take a look at, uh, at some answers by going to a very unlikely passage of the Bible. We're going to go to the biblical book of Habakkuk. And you can check it out by uh, pulling out the Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. We give those away every week. We love that. The words are going to be on the screen behind me. I'm giving you a lot of time to find this book because it's Habakkuk. And chances are, if you've heard of it, if you've read some parts of it, it's because maybe it was an accident. You're flipping from like Psalms over to Matthew and you landed on Habakkuk. Habakkuk is the flyover country of the Bible. Habakkuk is like Indiana. <laughs> where you, you're not staying, but you're passing through. You call it the crossroads state. So you, you're asking for it. Today, we're stopping in. <laughs> and today, we're going to hang out in the book of Habakkuk to see what God has for us here. A few things about Habakkuk that I want to teach you before we jump into the book is that Habakkuk, 
as a prophet is unique in the landscape of prophets. Most of the time, almost all of the time in the Bible that there's a prophet, the prophet speaks on behalf of God. Like God speaks to the prophet, the prophet Elijah maybe brings that word to the people or brings that word to the, to the king. A prophet is a mouthpiece of God. Habakkuk is unique because he's not speaking in this book on behalf of God. He is actually speaking on behalf of us, on behalf of all the people to God. This is a reverse sort of thing, which makes us really confident in reading this because on the one hand, I want to say like, God, you can't say those things to God, but Habakkuk speaks on behalf of us, speaks for us. The other thing about Habakkuk uh, that I think is, is worth mentioning is that he's getting into this, uh, he's asking these questions about why God and how, when is God going to show up? And he's asking these questions 600 years before the birth of Christ. So if you came into church today and you're kind of harboring these questions, maybe not so deep down, about how could God allow these things to happen? When is God going to show up in my life? Why doesn't what I see and what I know in my heart to be true match up? You're in good company. Because this is a prophet that has been, has been answering these questions, asking these questions for 2,600 years. Now, we're going to learn more about Habakkuk, but I want, to, I want to start off in the passage and actually get to some Bible. So Habakkuk 1, and we're going to do all three chapters, so buckle up. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1 starts off this way. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. And this is what he says. He goes, how long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen or cry out to you violence. But you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict abounds. This guy is so fed up with all of the junk that he sees happening around him. And he's going, when, God, are you going to show up? He goes on in chapter one to fill it out. And one of the things, one of the things that, that drives him bananas more than anything else is that he sees how the wealthy landowners in Judah, his country, are bribing the courts, the judges, and the magistrates for their own kind of justice. And he's like seeing this happen and he's watching this play out and going, the only justice experienced is a justice purchased. And he's going, that's messed up. That's not okay. Because that will crush the middle and especially the bottom. And he doesn't see a way out of that. And he like throws his hands up to God and goes, like, this is on you, pal. Like, God, when are you going to show up? When are you going to do something about that? And this is where we got to learn something about Habakkuk. By the way, this message is going to be three chapters. So it's going to be three points, nice and easy. And because... I'm your pastor and I love you. They're all going to start with W. All right. So you can write it down. Remember, a dull pencil beats a sharp mind every day and remembering the truths that God tells you. So it's, it's going to be good, I think. We'll see. You be the judge. Three points, three W's. First one is about Habakkuk's name. Habakkuk as a name means to hug or sometimes means to embrace, but it almost has like this this like quasi-violent sense on it. And some people said that Habakkuk's name actually means to, to, to wrestle. By the way, not the W that I'm talking about. That's a bonus W for you guys. 
because he's hugging, he's embracing, he's clinging on tightly. So, so the image that I have of Habakkuk as a name is in my five-year-old son when I uh, go into his room at night and I tuck him in and I lean down, you know, and we say our prayers and I give him those kisses. And then I say something to him. I lie to him. <laughs> um, like every parent in the history of bedtimes has always done, I think, lied to the kids and said, I'll see you tomorrow. And then I leave. And it's a lie because those of you who've done bedtimes, you don't see them tomorrow. You're going to see them in like five minutes. <laughs> You're going to see them when they come down the stairs. And when he says, I'm thirsty. <sighs> okay, water, go up to bed. You're going to see him in another five minutes when he comes down the stairs and says very predictably, I have to go to the bathroom. All right, you're going to see him when he comes down the stairs five minutes from then and really scraping the bottom of the barrel tells you, Dad, my leg doesn't feel like a leg. <laughs> True story. <laughs> and I'm fed up and he knows he's scraping the bottom. So I bring him up physically, tuck him in real tight on, on the edges and say, and he knows this is it now, I'll see you tomorrow. And as he does, he reaches over and he hugs my neck so tight, embraces so heavily, clings on, you might even call it wrestling. And I know that if I'm going to break this hold, it's going to be because he's tucked in now, so he's not going anywhere. I'm going to deadlift him and the whole bed up out of the bed. He's clinging on. He's hugging. From now on in my house, we're going to call that he's Habakkuking <laughs> by his fingernails. And as Habakkuk is looking around him, he's seeing the injustice in the world. And he is wondering about the goodness of God in this world. He too is Habakkuking. He is clinging on for dear life. Now we said this a couple of weeks ago in the sermon on Thomas, doubting Thomas. And we said the, the wonderful thing about Thomas is that he wonders, but he doesn't wander. Church, that didn't get any less true, so I'm recycling that and using it again today. Habakkuk is wondering about the goodness of God, but he's not wandering away from God because he's got his fingers wrapped around God's neck, and by his fingernails, he's clenching on to the goodness of God with all he's got. Like my wife riding a roller coaster at Cedar Point, she's not hugging or embracing the safety harness, she's Habakkuking it. She's holding on for dear life. And some of you, with what you have seen and what you have experienced, you are hanging on for dear life to the faith that God has given you. And I want to encourage you in that. And I want to say, if you're wondering about that goodness of God, that's okay. About a third of the Psalms wonder about the goodness of God. The book of Jeremiah, Lamentations, Job, Habakkuk, they all wonder about the goodness of God. And they all wonder, not wandering, but hanging on, Habakkuking on for dear life. Because the truth of the matter is awful stuff happens and I have no idea why. And I don't think many of you do either. And I don't think that God even owes us an explanation why, but we're hanging on for dear life. I've got friends who, who would be phenomenal parents. And they want to be phenomenal parents. And I cannot explain to you why God has not seen fit to bless them 
with a child, but he hasn't. And it makes no sense to me. And we're all just hanging on by our fingernails, Habakkuking on to faith in this times. There are businesses that have started that I have seen that are good, God-honoring kinds of businesses with products and services that the world needs, led by business people like the world needs. And it's not, be and it went under not because of mismanagement, not because of foul play, not because of anything wrong, but because, but because of a relational fallout or because of a healthcare crisis. And I'm going, God, why would you let this happen? And we wonder, as a community doing life together, we all wonder, but we're not wandering off. We're clinging on, Habakkuking on to God. And for some of us, the wondering isn't the hard part. For some of us, it's the waiting. Ladies and gentlemen, chapter two of Habakkuk where he says in chapter two, verse two, God says to Habakkuk, get a pen. <laughs> the Lord replied, write down the revelation, write down this vision and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the vision, for the revelation waits an appointed time. It speaks of the end. It will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Though it linger, wait for it. Wait for it, church. Wait for the appointed time. Now, I want to teach you a little Hebrew like I like to do every once in a while. Uh, appointed time isn't just any kind of time. It's a special kind of time. It's a, it's a, it's a moed kind of time. Can, I, can you say moed with me now? Moed. It's a moed kind of time that's full time. That's the time. It's not an appointment kind of time. It's the appointed kind of time. I think of, I think of a moed as the kind of time where somebody has got an air mattress out and they're blowing it up. Or maybe they're pumping and they've got one of these things going on and they're going and the air is like pushing into the mattress. And it's not time yet, but it's getting time. It's filling time. Every pump, every breath fills the time. And we're getting there, but it's not time yet. That was a, that was a bad example. I'll do another one. Um, the kind of time that's Christmas time for kids time, right? When the kid asks you, is it Christmas yet? And you say, no, not yet. 20 days, 15 days, eight days. Every time you say no, there's disappointment, yes, but there's also a building of anticipation so that when it's time, it's game time. <laughs> it's the full time, the moed, the time, God's time. And that's the waiting. And that's what's so hard because some of you are waiting and waiting and some of you want to force it and God's time can't, for it, can't be forced. I think of a few examples of this. I want to take us back for me personally in God's time. When I look back in, uh, in this church's history, get ready to clap. This week, we're going to celebrate eight years 
as a church, right? Isn't that amazing? It's especially amazing because I gave it three starting off. Really? Yeah? Yeah. Um, no, seriously. I said to lots of friends when they're like, seriously, a new church? And I'm like, we're going to go hard at this thing for three years and see what God does with it. And he doesn't. We're, you know, walk away, we'll do something else like that's okay. But God's time is just filling it up. Now, there's a story within that about how we met in a school cafeteria for a long time. And it was awful. I brought a couple pictures with. We got this one. This is, uh, this is Encounter Worship, rocking it out. It was pretty sweet. In 2010, and the church was 100% portable, which means everything that we used in church had to be brought out of a trailer and then put back stuff back into a trailer, which was delightful in fall sweater weather and awful in January when the wind chill is negative 10 and there's 12 inches of snow on the ground and the trailer had to be dug out before it could be pulled out. And we pulled up and we set up every single week and I still, to this day, I blame the bold spot in my head from the scar tissue of hitting my head on the trailer that many times. And I would do anything to get out of that. I want to show a picture of our nursery because I think that's going to help. Um, this one with a yellow sign that you can see, it actually says, Encounter Church Nursery. We've come a lot of long ways, amen? Um, this is my wife. You see, we have two kids in our nursery that morning, half of them mine. But we have two adults because rules are rules, right? Um, safety first. We've come a long ways. God has brought us a long ways. I would have done anything I could to get out of that situation. In fact, I did everything that I could to get out of that. We were on a week-to-week -week rental of the school where we had it rented for four hours a week at a time. And I thought, no way, this has to be over. And so I was reaching desperately for anything that might present itself as available. A second floor cubicle farm for church? Let's do it. I'm in. True story. Um, factory warehouse without on-site restrooms or parking. I would have taken it if they would have given it to me. Like anything along the way. In fact, I tried to rent this room that we're in right now for the whole church, like everything. Kids, ministries, office space, lobby, the whole thing. I tried to rent this for two years for the price ultimately that we bought the building for. And God said, what did he say? He said, it's not time yet. God said, if it's not my time, you can't force it. And then God said, but when it is my time, you can't stop it. And so we're waiting for God's moed. We're waiting for God's time. And some of you are just, you keep on waiting. And I don't know like when it's all going to come together. I don't know how long you have to wait for the kids to come back home. I don't know how long you have to wait for the wayward spouse to realize his or her blunders and wrongdoing and come back. I don't know how long you're going to have to wait for God's moed, his appointed time. But what I do know is that if it's not God's time, you can't force it. When it is God's time, you can't stop it. If I could do one more thing, and I'm going to do this with fear and trembling because I have been a married person or dating in a relationship for the better part of two decades and I'm going to attempt to speak to the single people among us who are waiting 
I don't have authority to do this, but I've known and journeyed with many of you. So I'm going to do my best because you're waiting for God's Moed appointed time. What I've noticed along the way is this tendency in the waiting to settle. Not to settle a little down, but to settle a lot down. And to, and to compromise and to chuck those values that you had, those, those deal breakers that you had since day one. And you're like ready to drop all the way to the bottom. And I want to tell you something about God's time and what it is that you're waiting for. If you don't feel like a whole person with just yourself, you're not going to feel like a whole person with one other. What I'm saying, church, is that single is a whole number. Amen? Amen. I'll say it one more time. If you don't feel like a whole person with just you, you're not going to feel like a whole person with one another. And those of you couples in the waiting, or those of you couples who are waiting for things to get better and to come back again, those of you couples experiencing just this conflict and relational strife and not ever seeing eye to eye and wondering about all sorts of things, if you don't feel whole with just the two of you, adding a third tiny human being into the mix is not going to fix that, but exacerbate it. If it's not God's time, you can't force it. When it is God's time, you can't stop it. Thank God for his time. Habakkuk now, as a review in chapters one and two, he laid it out for God and he said, he said, God, why is there all of this injustice and pain in my country, in, in Judah, the southern kingdom? Northern kingdom had been carted off a long time ago. The southern kingdom of Judah was in better shape. They're historically a little more spiritual than the rest. And now Habakkuk is looking around going, we've become exactly like the northern kingdom. This is, this is painful. This is awful. There's corruption and there's wickedness and there's evil and there's pain and there's destruction all around me. When are you going to do something, God? And God says, now. I'm going to do something right now. But he doesn't just fix it. God tells Habakkuk that I'm now sending the Babylonians to come in. Right now, my time to wipe you out. What? His whole country. God says, I'm done. Time's up. And Habakkuk understandably says, that's a hundred times worse. I mean, I was complaining about my own countrymen who's supposed to be more spiritual. And now you're talking about sending the Babylonians to come and just to do away with us completely. When are you going to do something about them, God? And God says, you in your time, them in their time, all of this in my time. Cling on, Habakkuk. Wait for my Moed appointed time. But while you do, and this is the hardest part of this entire book. There's one part of this thing that makes me want to put it down and not read it again. It's chapter three, where Habakkuk turns now. And there's no more story. There's just a song, a prayer. Chapter three, verse one, where it says, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, on 
Shijanov. And you're wondering, what's Shijanov? And it's the plural word of the singular Shijan. You're welcome for that. I'll be here all week. Aren't you glad you came? Uh, a Shijanov is a love song, which is somewhat unexpected. Even more unexpected, a Shijanov isn't like a crappy, nope, uh, isn't a sappy crying. There it is. <laughs> kind, that was not intentional. I'll edit that out, right? Um, a Shijanov isn't a crying, sappy kind of song. A Shijanov sort of song isn't the first dance at a wedding of singing butterfly kisses or I loved her first. A Shijanov is a kind of energetic, upbeat, dancing kind of song with changes to the rhythms. No, in fact, a Shijanov is more than that. It's, it's the changing of time involved in the sort of song. It's almost like it's jazz or it's almost like it's hip hop, Shijanov kind of song, which is what surprises me about how the book ends because Habakkuk never gets out of the valley. Habakkuk is continuing to experience the pain and the suffering and the setbacks and the loss. But yet he turns to God in the midst of it all, not having been rescued. And he says, but I will still praise. I will still worship. I won't wait for provision. I'll praise before provision. And that is so powerful, church, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you that at this point in the message, I'm usually arcing it down. At this point in the message, I would have started with some light humor kind of banter. We would have gone into some deep stuff in the Bible and in the world today, and then we would have landed with an, with an inspiring, empowering story about how someone, God is using someone that is, that is waiting for God's appointed time, using someone that is Habakkuk clinging on to God and now worshiping all through the valley. But this isn't that story. Next week will be that message. Today won't be that message because the sad reality, church, and a lot of you, you just know this already, is that this isn't the day that God brings you out of the valley. This might not even be the week that God brings you out of the valley. And I, I want to acknowledge that and to say that, that God never, never promised to land that ark of hope. He never promised to land that quickly. He never promised a short ark into hope. He never even promised to land that ark of hope in our lifetime. But it will land. I want to tell you that it will land. I want to tell you two things. The first reason why I know it will land, church, at some point, that ark of hope will land because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's son. 
The resurrection of Christ is so powerful and so important because it promises us as a down payment that there is no pain that is outside of the reach of God. It promises us that there is no amount of loss that is outside of the resurrection of the dead. It promises us that there is nothing, neither death nor life nor angel or demon that is outside of the reach of our loving and gracious God. And that restoration is coming. The ark of hope in your life, church, it will land one day. But there's power in the between. There's power in the middle of the ark. And that's what Habakkuk has learned. The power in the in-between that Habakkuk learned is to praise before provision because it does something. It does something. Praising before provision, it clarifies and it separates the who and the what of worship. You see, we mix these things up all the time. I mix these things up, the who and the what of our worship and our praise all the time. I pray things like, like, gracious God, thank you. I praise you for what you have done. Gracious God, I worship you for what you have given And I mix up and I confuse the what and the who of our worship to God. Don't you do that sometimes? To mix these things up? And we don't understand. This is so hard. This is so painful. But it's also so true. We don't understand the separation of the what and the who until there's no more what left. Until God has stripped away all of the what and all of the blessing and all of the people after it's all gone and there's nothing else that we have but the who of God. Do we find out who it is that we're actually worshiping? There's a story I want to tell you about a guy who, who lost everything. Wife, kids, job, all of it stripped back and pulled back. And he was sitting in his pastor's office and he was saying this story about, Pastor, you don't understand the fact that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And that guy learned in the most awful and true way the difference between praising the what and praising the who. And if you are in the valley right now, and if you are being refined and stripped away, you have an opportunity right now to learn how to sing the praise of the who, the praise before provision now more than any other time in your life. When you come into the valley, would you pray that you have the courage to praise The who prays before provision. I'd like us together to sing that song of praise before provision. Sing that worship of the who, not the what. To figure out how to do this together. So so what I'd like is to stand up where you are. And and I want to read Habakkuk chapter 3. Just a parting couple of verses and just listen to a guy who's very much in the bottom of the valley. And in verse 17, he says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails 
and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will praise before provision. I will praise the who, because I have no what. Church, could we add a couple of verses onto that today and for our weeks? And could we just do this? Maybe if you grew up in church, you remember this as a litany or, or as a responsive reading here. We just call it a back and forth. And I'm going to read a line and you just respond with that one. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Let's say it together. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Though it hurts every single day, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Though I'm still anxious and I'm still depressed, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Though I don't know what will happen with my kids, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Though I worry about my marriage or about my singleness, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Though I have not yet seen the hand of God in my life, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Gracious God, by your Holy Spirit, may you fill our hearts so that those words aren't just true, but they're practiced in our lives. That that gap between what our eyes see and our hearts know to be true, someday will close and this ark of hope will land. Until that day, when we have no provision and we have no what, May we have the courage to say together with Habakkuk and all believers for all time, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, in the Lord. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.